Welcome to Here to Make Friends, a HuffPost podcast about The Bachelor franchise, where we lovingly snark on The Bachelor and Bachelor-adjacent shows. Whether you love The Bachelor or love to hate it, we're here to break down every single delicious moment with you. I'm Emma Gray. And I'm Claire Fallon. Hey guys, uh, we are back and ready to dive into what I think will be um, kind of a messy and and difficult conversation that quite honestly, we've been feeling a little bit nervous to have. Yeah, um, I think if you listen to the podcast, you are probably aware that Taylor Nolan is a friend of the pod, um, that she's someone whose work we've listened to and uplifted. And so um, obviously it's been very painful and confusing, and it's going to be very difficult to talk about the tweets of hers that resurfaced this weekend. This is not a situation that we ever um, wanted to see happen, and therefore it's not one that we wanted to discuss Um, But that's the situation um, that we're in. And so we want to give plenty of space to what happened and to the people who have been hurt um, by these tweets um, that resurfaced. So we're going to start by giving some background for those of you who haven't been following this. And then we're going to talk through Um, some of the fallout, um, our reactions, um, what we're thinking about all of this, and hope that this provides um, a space where this is taken seriously and where people feel that their concerns are, are being held, because that's what that's what we want to do here. And um, we're also open to our listeners who have been hurt and want to reach out. Um, our DMs are open as yeah. always. We will do our best to to get through them. Um, and I just wanted to thank you guys for giving us the space to process this. It's now been a couple days and um, I reacted too quickly at first, having only seen a fraction of the tweets that had surfaced, thinking that was the full story um all from 10 years ago and and it's just been a good a good lesson for me personally on the fact that it's okay to give yourself space to process um uh, so that you kind of come correct and give your thoughts in in a way that accurately speaks to the situation and accurately speaks to your feelings on them. Um, Frankly, I think it's taken both Claire and I a few days just to to process the magnitude of this and go through all the layers of our thoughts. And I hope that we will be able to kind of muddle through and and speak to all of that accurately. And I especially want to take a moment here. Um, I know Emma agrees. You know, we received some of this, um, the pressure to speak on this right away, to denounce Taylor in the strongest possible terms very quickly. Um, But, you know, we saw, you know, from quite a few Black women who have been outspoken about racism in the franchise, um, Black women who were on the show, um, who uh, 
do commentary on the show. Um, we've been seeing that they have been experiencing a lot of pressure and onslaught. And, you know, <laughs> we want to just like encourage everyone to take a beat before you pile on a black woman who is doing work often in her free time. You know, a lot of, you know, the podcasters and alums do not have the show as their primary job, (laughs) um, who are doing this work against racism, you know, to, to demand immediate reaction from them about something like this. Um, they, a lot of, a lot of these people are suffering as well from what they're seeing. And, and you really, you know, we want them to, to not experience then people piling on them, harassing them for, for a, an instant reaction. And, and that just perpetuates more harm in certain ways. Yeah. Like we we understand the, um, impulse to want people that you trust and feel are in community with to, express you know the hurt or the anger that that you feel in the moment I think we have that I certainly have that same impulse a lot of the time um you you want to feel seen and heard but yeah this has just been a great lesson in in the value of giving people space to process and to um also feel their their own personal pain around stuff like this. And I think the same goes, you know, especially for the black women who work in this space, but also, you know, the hosts of, of Date Card are queer. A lot of these tweets um, targeted the queer community. So just take a beat, give some space, um, and and we're going to try to do, do the same so that our comments, um, you know, are as useful as possible. So... With that said, let's get into the background of this. Um, as we as we alluded to over the weekend on on Sunday, I believe, um, dozens, maybe more than dozens of Taylor Nolan's tweets were surfaced. Um, before we kind of get into this in detail, we did want to start this conversation by unequivocally stating that the tweets, which included you know hateful language towards a plethora of different communities were shocking, harmful, deeply hurtful, deeply triggering, and just absolutely indefensible. That's kind of the baseline we want to start this from. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Emma and I were really disturbed, um, really upset, really shaken by reading the extent of the tweets, like the extent of the, you know, hatefulness um displayed um it's been a lot for us to process and talk through and we just hope that we can make it clear that we stand completely in opposition to those sentiments that were expressed in them toward the disability and neurodivergent communities you know sexual assault survivors jewish community lgbtqia plus people bipoc communities you know all of the communities that were that were targeted in these tweets um, for everyone who has been harmed by these tweets, who saw them and felt betrayed or triggered or traumatized. You, we see you like we stand in solidarity with you. We absolutely don't think it's acceptable or defensible in any way. And, you know, we believe that anyone, our friends included, who holds or has held or expressed harmful positions like these um, definitely does need to be held accountable and and needs to 
answer for those opinions and actions. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that Taylor has certainly called for herself while doing this work from other people in this space. Um, and people need to take action, do better. And from what we've begun to see, Taylor is perhaps in the early stages of this accountability process, um, which doesn't happen overnight. And she has also certainly begun facing um, real material consequences. You know, we, we're not going to go through or read the tweets here. Obviously, I don't think we want no. to give those any further platform, but we do want to acknowledge like some of the specific kinds of harm that were done. Um, I mean, these were tweets that were derogatory and hateful towards Asian and South Asian people, Native American people, Jewish people, fat people, people with disabilities and mental illness. Um, There were tweets that mocked rape survivors. There were tweets that used slurs referring to queer people and people with disabilities. Um, And, you know, some exhibited, you know, deeply ingrained classism. There were tweets about clients, um, presumably in some sort of student capacity at the time, um, because this was many years ago. Um, so a lot of really troubling stuff um, to say, to, to really understate it. Um, it was really, really, to say the least, um, really disturbing. And I know a lot yeah. of Taylor's friends, um, including us, were, you know, how, how do you process that this is the Taylor that we knew? Um, there was, you know, an initial impulse, I think, among some people to say this must be fake. But Taylor has acknowledged that she tweeted all those things. They're there. They're real. And um, she said that she chose to leave them up as a form of transparency um, because working through the sentiments that she held at the time, which she says were sort of rooted in self-hatred and um, internalized racism and misogyny, um, working through that is what she says led her to the work she does now um, as a mental health professional and a social justice advocate. Um, So let's get into some of the what's unfolded since then yeah so since the tweets began to resurface taylor has posted a few different things she said that she's going to have more to say in the future including on her her podcast um but her first significant statement was like a 30 minute video that she posted on sunday evening um and her her written caption to that and her stories until i think the more measured um written apology that she posted yesterday felt pretty similar and and I know you know increased and compounded some of the harm that the tweets did so so we're kind of going to discuss that that first spate of misguided apologies together yeah um it was a lot but like in broad strokes you know, she addressed her apology specifically to the BIPOC community uh, multiple times. She apologized for the hurt that was caused. She said she knew how shitty and harmful the comments were. Um, she said that the tweets were resurfaced as part of a push to silence her because she's taking on the bachelor's racism and white supremacy. And that, you know, and this was kind of the big emphasis of her statement that these tweets don't invalidate her work, that she has been doing the work of anti-racism for years and also that she 
came to that on her own without being called out, which was a big point of emphasis. Um, and so... <laughs> it was a defensive statement. And and I think that's what, you know, a lot of people noted immediately. Like, it, it didn't feel... It didn't feel like it came from a place of immediately centering the communities, the marginalized communities who were harmed by the language used. It really centered um, an audience of hostile white attackers instead. And and that, I think, was deeply hurtful to a lot of people, understandably. And uh, that paired with the fact that the video really focused also on her own accomplishments in the space rather than really being based from a place of of humility. I think the that is part of what made it land so um, roughly. I do think, and you know, this is it's comp. These things are complicated. <laughs> yeah, and it's not an apology. Certainly, that Taylor would have have viewed favorably coming from someone else um and you know there's there are a lot of parts of it to take issue with you know i i think that the fact that she addressed specifically her only apologies to the bipoc community when you know many people were in the position to be hurt by her tweets who are Jewish or who are fat or who are disabled who are rape survivors, you know, they have a legitimate grievance. And um, to, right. to target and, and, the right. apology in that way, I understand where that came from for Taylor, but it was, um, I think, deeply hurtful and and compounded the pain that she right. that her it's, tweets it, had inflicted. It almost seemed to um, imply that that people who were not did not identify as part of the BIPOC community, but were part of these other marginalized communities um, that somehow. I think it felt that somehow their. Hurt was less legitimate. Um, and I'll just say as a as a white Jewish person, um, I think and, and a few people in my DMs who are also white Jews have spoken to this like I think. Because the Jewish community, which, first of all, is, is not monolithically white, um, but is often seen as monolithically white in the collective imagination, um, we are often excluded from from certain anti-racist work. And um, given that, you know, in addition to there being a huge rise in hate crimes against the Asian community, especially recently, um, but over the last few years during the, the Trump era specifically, there has also been like a steady rise in anti-Semitic hate crimes. And so I think that, you know, that's just one example. But I think that there are like a lot of a lot of layers here and um, a lot of people who might identify as white, but also as a part of another marginalized community who were rightfully um, harmed and, and hurt by those tweets. And I, I want to touch on something else that really, um, I think, that that I think was painful for a lot of people to see who have followed Taylor for her advocacy work, um, which is the the way that her sort of, as you mentioned earlier, her work and her 
ego in a way seemed to to be central to this um apology um rather than the harm that was caused and we see that in the way that she keeps saying you know i've been doing the work i do the work already i'm not going to do better because i'm already doing better um the way that she says you know no one had to call me out you know no one ever called me out i did this on my own um and and also i think in the way that she even says that she left the tweets up knowingly and that that i want to unpack a little bit because she says you know i knew these tweets were out there i left them up out of transparency because they were part of my journey to how I got to where I am today. And then I knew if that when they resurfaced, I would be able to say, you know, well, here's the work that I've done. And I I see what she's saying here, but this is like a line of thinking that that is about almost wanting to pass some sort of test on her own merit rather than rather than thinking through what it would mean for all of the people targeted by those tweets to see them resurfaced. Um, The harm that can continue to come from those tweets being out in the world. Um, Wanting to be like, I've done enough work that I will get a pass for what I did in the past, rather than saying, if these come out, people who could be very deeply hurt will have to experience that hurt instead of me taking them out of public circulation so that that can't happen. And, right. and, a, and a new hurt, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the harm caused by these tweets is current and is fresh. It's not, you know, from 2012. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And for Taylor, she's thinking, you know, these things happened a long time ago. But for the people reading the tweets, um, it's happening to them now. And that is a fact that was created by Taylor choosing not to take those tweets down. Um at least in part, you know, and and also her apology, which, as we are discussing, was was really hurtful in a lot of ways, um, is something that just happened in the past couple of days. You know, that's a new harm. And so to say, like, I've already been doing the work um, while true in certain ways. Um, and I don't think that we should act as though these tweets are something that she tweeted yesterday, like while she was doing no. her activist work obviously there is some context here which is that she has grown since those tweets however um that doesn't mean that there's not room for new growth or for new um for new reckoning or for looking at the way that you reacted to this coming out and looking at the way that you chose to leave them up and the consequences that 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 led to for you, but more importantly, for the people who were spoken about in those tweets. And there's sort of a weird tension here, right? Because Taylor kind of calls for the space um, for people to recognize her own growth. And and that is very important. You know, people should be able to grow from a place of hatefulness, as as Claire, as you alluded to, like this sort of stuff is is a life's work. We don't undo this conditioning um, in a few days, a few months, a few years, uh, you know, uh, even a lifetime. And and we don't think that these tweets should invalidate the work that Taylor has done that has been really impactful. Her calls for equity within the franchise, like those messages still stand. Um, and And we don't think that people 
I think that there is like a a desire to sort of categorize people into like good or bad and sh- you know parse out like are you good are you bad and move people from one category to another. Um, we we all need we all need grace. We all need to be called in rather than summarily excommunicated. And we also don't think like Hannah Brown and Rachel Kirkinell or even Chris Harrison should like lose all their friends and be left without a route to accountability and change. Um, you know, accountability and change look different for different situations. We're not calling for, we have not and and are not now calling for anyone to be like X'd out of all of society. Um, but, but it's confusing. <laughs> yeah, it is confusing. And I think, I think that it's been, there's been a certain level of satisfaction i think in some of the reaction to these tweets coming out um which has been really troubling to see like this is this is harmful for work that is really important and needs to be done and there's no joy in that there's no satisfaction in that um but it it does i think serve as a reminder that like we need to be like firm and in demanding accountability we need to not accept half-assed apologies as as sufficient without doing anything real to back that up. But we also do need to create a create a space that is empathetic for this sort of thing. Um, and empathetic doesn't mean excusing shit. Mm-mm. Empathy does not mean saying like what you've done is defensible and it's fine and and we're moving on because we feel so bad for you. Like that's not. That's not what we're saying here. Um, We want to be clear about that. But we do think like in this entire thing, centering empathy is is kind of key. Um, You know, Taylor posted another apology on Monday, kind of apologizing for her initial response. Um, And I thought that that at least was felt more direct, um, did address a lot of the communities directly that were harmed and she says she's committed to learning and working and doing better. And, and you know, I guess time will tell, right? Apology comes first and then there's action. Um, and we want to address that there is a personal layer of this for us. Like we've known Taylor for years and that makes this harder. Um, and And I also want to say that as someone who, you know, is able to be in contact with Taylor personally, that like, I have expressed some of this to her directly. Um, And my feeling is that the value of being friends with someone in a moment like this is that you can get to them directly. And I think part of being a good and loving friend is calling someone in, is holding them accountable, is expressing um, to them directly the ways in which they have done harm to you or to other people. And I, I've been heartened to see other, you know, friends of Taylor's like Van- Vanessa Grimaldi and Dan- Danielle Maltby speak really thoughtfully on this as well. Um, and we also want to be clear that like no one in our audience, no one that's listening should should feel like we're telling you that you're obligated to, you know, give trust back or to forgive Taylor or anyone else for that matter. Like everyone has the right to make an individual choice about who they choose to to forgive or let into their lives um, and even their their Instagram feeds. Yeah, I think 
this process has been making us think a lot about what accountability looks like for someone who has ugly shit in their past, who's been doing better. I mean, we're we're seeing this process in like a weird order because, you know, Taylor has done a lot of work since this time in her life and the call out is coming after that. Um, that doesn't mean that there is no space for further accountability. That doesn't mean like, oh, I already did the stuff and we can move on. Um, partly because there are new harms being caused right now. Um, and I think also, you know, it's just a moment to look at, you know, what does it mean for all of us that, you know, if you have stuff in your past, like, what does it mean? Is it enough to just do better moving forward? Um, and when is that not enough? Um, and I think we don't have the answers to that. (laughs) unfortunately we're we're still trying to figure that out if anyone if you have a suggestion please please let us know no i mean and it's especially complicated with someone like like taylor and like we think about this as well for ourselves like when you're doing this kind of thing in public and one part of your work is is trying to educate and inform people about social justice questions um anti-racism feminism uh when you have this degree of of stuff in your past you know does that mean that public facing work is not the work for you or you know or does it mean that you have to approach that work in a different way um than you have before it comes to light you know like can taylor continue to do her work in the way that she's been doing it i think that that's something she's going to have to look really hard at um and i hope she does Yeah, I hope so, too. And, you know, as I said before, like, we've been thinking a lot about empathy in all of this. And I think if this has kind of shown us anything, it's that being smug or self-righteous when calling people out probably isn't all that helpful. And and ultimately, it makes it that much harder if you end up being the one in in need of people's grace and compassion down the road. and and this is complicated because we never want to engage in tone policing, especially of of black women who are accounting for harm. Um, but we do feel like it's important to recognize that we've all been raised in a white supremacist, fat phobic, ableist, homophobic, Christian dominated culture. Um, and it takes a lot of work to unlearn all of the ways we have been fucked up and led towards harmful attitudes and beliefs by that culture. Yeah, I, I think that's right, Emma. You know, it, it's really difficult. Um, it's it's a tricky thing, and none of us is, is perfect in handling these things. Um, but we really need to be able to have accountability. We need to be able to call people out and call them in without... Um, without creating a, a space that is entirely rigid, entirely unforgiving, um, that is built on self-righteousness instead of uh, like alleviating harm and and creating a better world for people who are suffering under white supremacy and patriarchy. And, uh, and so what we're looking for when we call someone out 
like Chris Harrison or when we call someone out like Taylor, um, the goal is the same thing, which is to foster structural change, to leave the world a more equitable place. And that can mean different things for different people. I think, you know, part of the the issue with Chris is frankly that he is an executive producer on The Bachelor and he is the host. And for years he has been expressing views that are damaging to that goal that um that are making excuses for not making the show more welcoming place for people of color um that as we saw in the interview with rachel that we're hostile to it in a lot of ways and that we're hostile to to rachel um trying to ask tough questions about the problems on the show and that raises a question like, is he someone who can be in that position of power on the show and guide these conversations uh, right now with the place he's in right now? And the evidence to us suggests that that maybe he's not. And that doesn't mean that it's, you know, hypocritical to call someone else out and not say this person should have their life ruined, you know, which we are getting, you know, this kind of pushback this kind of feedback like if you don't say taylor should lose everything um (laughs) then it's hypocritical and i don't think that's the point the point is how can we make this space safer how can we make the world safer and more equitable right consequences aren't doled out for vengeance you know like we don't want i i think when we say that perhaps chris harrison shouldn't be in his job it's not because we want him to suffer. It's because he has done things that suggest he's not up to doing his job well. Um, And when Claire, you know, questions whether Taylor's work should look the same and suggest that maybe, you know, that such public facing work, like, isn't the role given everything that's happened, that is, again coming from that same space Um, and the consequences for individuals are not going to look the same. Individuals also come into these missteps, these racist actions, these hurtful viewpoints from different positions of power. And so I think that's another thing that we need to consider when we're talking about what accountability looks like. Right. I mean, the reality is Chris is a very powerful person with a lot of money, you know, like that's just the case. I don't think that his life is is being ruined, although I know this time is probably very, very uncomfortable for him. And, um, you know, the consequences do tend to fall much harder on women of color, um, on black women, even even in these spaces, even when it's about something like expressing bigoted views. Um, A big part of Taylor's audience, you know, pretty much her entire audience is is not sympathetic to that. There's not going to be anyone in her comments, you know, in force saying, you don't have anything to apologize for. It's okay. Um, We're still with you. Um, she's, She's going to suffer very, very serious professional consequences from this. Um, And you know, that's that may be part of her her process, her accountability process. And um, 
the point that we just want to emphasize is that like this shouldn't be about vengeance this shouldn't be about making people suffer this shouldn't be about exacting some sort of purity test it's not about playing whack-a-mole with like individual people in the bachelor realm who have done something wrong um it's just because naming what's happened and accounting for this harm and pushing for amends to be made is the only way that that we can move forward. Um, and so that's why we think and we hope that Taylor will will be more considered about this in the future and be more intentional about this and and not turn away from this. The really important thing to do is to center the communities that have been harmed and and to be empathetic, um, to, con- to really consider the harm that you've caused and not um, react by centering your ego or your own sense of victimhood and grievance um, in a moment like this. Yeah, I completely agree. And another thing that we want to emphasize before we wrap this up is just that like, movements do not live and die with individuals. Um, And there's a reason that we don't pin the success or the worth of a social movement on an individual person. There are a lot of BIPOC women doing anti-racist work, both within and outside of Bachelor Nation. And you may have learned something from Taylor. And if you have, hold on to that knowledge and and keep learning. You know, this anti-racist activism that, that she has championed the last few years remains essential. And this, you know, new reality or th- these things coming to light doesn't invalidate Um, that education doesn't invalidate the movement as a whole, certainly does not invalidate the really important calls for equity within the franchise. And, you know, I think something I've been struggling with is just like, now this is the center of that conversation. And it felt like we were on the precipice of real change, perhaps, like maybe something really good was going to happen. Um, and I worry that not and this is not me trying to say that I didn't want to have this conversation or I didn't want to address this. You know, we we had to we we wanted to. Um, but I do hope we can uh, after, you know, everyone takes the time to to process and to feel what they're feeling um, and and get some space from this that we can get back to that really central work of of pushing for structural change, for pushing for a reality where someone like Rachel Lindsay isn't, you know, bullied off of a social media platform because a white man faces basic, potentially temporary consequences um, for doing something very obviously wrong. And, and yeah, that's just one of the things that I am struggling with. But, um, you know, I think that this conversation will be ongoing. And just to the point of the possibly temporary uh, replacement of Chris, we do want to mention um, with oh, all yeah. that's going on, we we news. haven't somehow found a spot to mention that the uh, replacement for uh, after the final rose hosting gig has been announced. Um, it's going to be Emmanuel Otto, who is um, a an analyst on Fox Sports One. He wrote the book, uh, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, um, which uh, was actually the book that was in the 
the background of uh, Rachel Kirkconnell's uh, matcha tea Instagram that she posted. Um, uh, but uh, he seems like uh, an an unconventional choice for The Bachelor. They always seem to be sort of grooming their internal successors like JoJo. Um, but I appreciate that they took this turn and I'm really curious um, to see if if they keep the option open of asking him to stay on or finding another permanent replacement for Chris Harrison. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess we'll yeah, see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and I do think... It would really trouble me to see the end of this all be, you know, Taylor suffering, you know, really immense career ruining consequences and Chris Harrison being back and the franchise kind of putting aside any progress that they were considering making. Um, What we really want to see is full accountability for everyone involved and and a full continuation of the work um, on Taylor's part. Uh, We want, you know, the work to be done um, to center the communities that she harmed. Um, But the same is also true of of Chris Harrison and The Bachelor and ABC. Um, And we hope that this will not end that. Derail that. Yeah. Um, And yeah, it's difficult to talk about because we absolutely don't want to imply in any way that it's not that it's a side issue to talk about what Taylor tweeted that it's not important that those issues can be put to the side that's not true um and it really is a reminder of just like how how many people uh white supremacy and harms and and how much pain is caused and and how inclusive this movement needs to be to consider the harms the franchise does and and our culture and and how much needs to be addressed um, to move past that. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect place to kind of stop this conversation for now, um, for now and and trust that we will pick it back up. Um, <laughs> the work goes on and and it goes on kind of forever. So we will definitely be talking about this again. But before we um, take a break, we did want to call out a handful of organizations that um, are doing great work that do center some of the communities that were harmed by Taylor's tweets. And that if you have an extra dollar or 10 or 20, that you might want to throw some of your resources towards or at least, you know, read about and, and amplify their work. Um, I'm just going to kind of read down a list quickly. We're going to link to all of these organizations in, in the show notes, um, but there, there are quite a few. So Stop AAPI Hate, the Asian American Federation, the Center for Disability Rights, the Disability Justice Culture Club, the Trevor Project, the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance, Jews for Racial and Economic Justice, the Auschwitz-Birkenau Memorial and Museum, and the Native American Rights Fund. And we are sure there are, we know there are many, many, many more um, organizations doing incredible, incredible work. And, and as always, feel free to, to send those um, our way.
And now we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will share our conversation with Chelsea Vaughn. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service that's all about helping you have fun and get creative with your style. There's dressy stuff, trendy going out clothes, casual tops, and premium jeans. I mean, you name it, and Newly has it. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month, access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands with inclusive sizing. Fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in Newly's state-of-the-art laundering facility are also included. Plus the option to buy what you love. I love Newly so much. I actually have bought several items that I found through Newly and they are staples in my wardrobe. Most recently, I've been looking for the perfect pair of jeans, which is a constant quest because my body is always changing and also jean styles are always changing. I was trying out this month the A. Goldie Pinchwaist jeans, which are sort of legendary for how flattering they are. And it was exciting to get to try them out without sending 200 of my dollars away. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code LTSI20. Just go to NUULY.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code LTSI20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, Newly with two U's with code LTSI20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Springtime vibes are in the air. And when you bring in some of the beautiful flowers that are blooming, you probably want to smell the flowers, not the litter box. But thanks to Pretty Litter, you'll be able to smell those spring flowers all you want. Nothing beats Pretty Litter's ability to instantly trap odors. It's ultra absorbent, it's lightweight, low dust, and one six-pound bag works for up to a month. Pretty Litter's crystals change color to indicate early signs of potential illnesses in your cat. And if all of that wasn't enough, Pretty Litter ships free right to your door. You'll never run out, you won't have huge kitty litter bags taking up space, and even better, You won't have to lug those huge tubs from the store to your car or the subway and into your house. Our producer, Talon, has been using Pretty Litter and he just raves about how great it is, how easy it is to scoop, how much better it smells. I mean, the health monitor aspect gives so much peace of mind. He's a big fan and we know that you will be too. Go to prettylitter.com slash LTSI to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. That's prettylitter.com slash LTSI to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. prettylitter.com slash LTSI. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Oh, I'm so happy the weather is finally turning. If you, like me, have been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune, then Quince is for you. You can build up a lineup of timeless pieces that will keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year. Like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings right on to you. 
And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, as well as premium fabrics and finishes. I love Quince for all these staples. I mean, linen is my favorite summer fabric. They have so many amazing linen staples. I also found my new go-to like summer running around to the playground in the coffee shop bag. It's the pebbled Italian leather front sling bag. I can just fit a wallet and my phone and my AirPods in it, maybe some lip balm. Absolutely perfect. I'm so obsessed with it. And the price was exactly what I wanted to. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash LTSI for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI. Article believes in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their online only model, they have some pretty delightful prices too. Their curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, high Tyler Cameron, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs makes furniture shopping simple. Plus, they're dedicated to really thoughtful craftsmanship that honestly stands the test of time and looks good doing it. Article offers fast, affordable shipping across the U.S. and Canada. Plus, they won't leave you waiting around. You pick the delivery time and they'll send you updates every step of the way. I have long been an article girly, like every room of my house my house, my apartment, (laughs) you can see article furniture in. Most recently, we updated our balcony, you know, just in time. It's finally balcony season again, finally warming up in New York. And I have been out there with my coffee, sitting in the toady beach sand dining chair, which is a great little lounger for a small space. Again, New York City apartment. And uh, it just really like elevates our deck. That and the ottoman we bought to go with it. So comfortable, so chic. Also can withstand a whole lot of rain. So important. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. They're having their Memorial Day sale from May 13th to May 27th, which would be the perfect time to use your store credit on top of sale prices. To claim, visit article.com slash LTSI and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash LTSI for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list, as they should, because it's very important. If that's you, then make this year the year you finally check it off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Wow, that is really fast. Their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning link... Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I personally used Babbel before I headed off to Paris for three weeks, and it was so helpful just kind of giving me back the basic understanding of French, allowing me to interact with people in restaurants, in shops, and, you know, just not make a total fool of myself when in a foreign country. 
Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash LTSI. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash LTSI. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash LTSI. Rules and restrictions may apply. And now we're back with an interview and, of course, a discussion of Women Tell All with Code Queen Chelsea from this season of The Bachelor. So here to discuss her time on the show, uh, as well as last night's eventful Women Tell All episode, is our resident style icon, Chelsea Vaughn. (laughs) Chelsea, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Love that title. (laughs) (laughs) Well-deserved. Um, so we like to start at the beginning. Uh, how did you get cast on The Bachelor? I actually applied myself. Um, it was middle of summer, you know, quarantine was going on. I was kind of just hanging out at my mom's house. Um, I didn't have much work to do because everything was closed. And I kind of just decided, what the heck? Like, let me see what happens if I go click apply on this application. Um, I already knew it was Matt James. And so I was excited about him. So I applied and then it kind of just snowballed from there. (laughs) So you specifically wanted to meet Matt. Like, what did you know about him at the time? I mean, I was very excited that there was finally a Black Bachelor because I am, I have been a fan of the show. So I have never seen one before, obviously. Um, And... You know, he lives in New York, not far from me. He's tall. He's attractive. There were a lot of qualities I liked. (laughs) I mean, God, just like employed attractive in New York (laughs) City. Like it's the, I mean, as someone who who spent a lot of years dating in New York, like you're like, wow, my God, this guy. Um, (laughs) You get it. While you were going through casting or or thinking about applying, um, was the franchise's history with race something that you like thought about or is it something that you talked to casting producers about during the process? I definitely thought about it just because like I said I have been watching the show in the past and I'm aware that there's not there have not been a lot of women that look like me and if they are they aren't the ones that make it very far um so I definitely did think about it but I'd hoped that with this season being you know, marketed as the most historic season ever. And like, we're changing things. And the statement that came out over the summer from the network that things would be different and things would change. So going into it and applying for it, I was definitely hopeful. Once you got into the house, like, what did you feel about that? Like, did you feel like, wow, I'm with a really cool group of women? Matt's great. This is all great. Or were there aspects of it that started to feel concerning to you? I think going into it, I I had it in my mind that I knew what I was like getting myself into just because I've watched the show. But I think (laughs) once you get there, you realize you really have no idea. Um, I was really excited to meet Matt and to be around an amazing cast of women. Um, But I don't know. I don't think anyone can really prepare yourself to be like isolated for an extended amount of time that you don't know what it's going to be with no phone, no family, like no lifelines. Um, But I was pleasantly surprised and happy to see that there were producers of color 
Um, so that made me feel comfortable. And then other women in the cast of color made me have like a sense of camaraderie. That's awesome. Um, you know, one of the the conversations that we did get to see while the show was airing uh, between you and Matt was a really awesome conversation that you had about your relationship to your hair as a black woman. Was that something that you kind of like went into the show or went into that night knowing that you really wanted to talk to him? I definitely did want to speak about it just because it's something that's really important to me. It's weighed heavily on me my entire life. And it was really liberating for me to let it go. And it's something that's made me into the woman I am now and to help me feel more confident. So, and it was pretty recent when I got there. Like I shaved my head in June. And so it had only been a few months. So it was still pretty fresh to me. And I obviously thought about the fact that, okay, this might be aired on national TV. And if it is, I hope that other people can relate and resonate with the story. And the response has been so overwhelming and amazing. So that was kind of just a bonus. But I did definitely want to share that with Matt because I I want to share things that I'm feeling and um, just helping to explain how I got to where I am as far as my self-confidence now to someone that I'm dating. Was there any part of that conversation or or parts of your relationship with Matt more broadly that got cut that you wish people had gotten to see? I mean, we only have two hours and 30 something girls. So yeah, there's a lot that I wish (laughs) that people got to see. I wish everyone got to see every conversation I had with him and every date that we went on. Um, But, you know, got to share the wealth with all the other girls. (laughs) You mean it can't just be you? All episode, (laughs) every episode? not. I mean, one of the one of the weird things about this season that Emma and I have repeatedly commented on is that it feels like we didn't see very many women's relationships with Matt because so much screen time was taken up with very difficult to follow drama. Like, was that surprising for you to see as you were watching the show back, like the weight that that was given? Or was that something that you were expecting? It was a little surprising to me just because... I was there and I lived it. And so you know how much time went into everything and every day, how long we filmed, um, how many things happened. So it's always kind of shocking to see it air because it's like, it feels like it's going a million miles an hour to me because I am like, oh my God, they cut this out. They cut this out. Like, so I was just like, I I was a little thrown off by that. Um, but I do think there always is drama in the first few episodes, as far as, you know, this show's history goes. Um, And then it more so lends itself to the love stories later. But I do think the drama took up, it seemed like to me, more time this season than it has before. Show us the love. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about the women tell all because that's, in theory, that's what we're here to discuss. Um, And... It's always a tough episode to discuss because it's just a lot of uh, a lot of rehashing and clip show type stuff. But we have a very important issue that we want to surface right at the top. How did you feel about Matt's beard? I know we're getting (laughs) deep quickly. We love the beard, but we know you did. I think you're in the minority. (laughs) I know we think we are, too. But this is a a firmly pro beard podcast. So (laughs) 
Okay, I actually do really like a beard on a guy, but Matt's was a little bit large for my taste. <laughs> okay, so you you would prefer like a more trimmed down version. Yes, I like a trimmed down like I don't even know what you call it. Um, like cl- I just like a it closer shave, and, a closer yeah, yes, yeah. a neat closer shave indeed. <laughs> we need to see Matt with all the different levels of facial hair so that we can decide <laughs> which is the most. I think it's kind of a flex to be like I can grow a beard that is so thick and so dense. Not every guy can do that, you know. That is absolutely true. One of my exes would kill for that. He could not get his to grow. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, my my boyfriend, fashion. his facial hair is like fully patchy and he's like always horrified every time it starts to grow out. So, you know, look. <laughs> Matt has blessings. Uh, yes, in that. good job, And, and Matt. he grew that just in the last couple of months. All right, we can't talk about the beard the whole time. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts, but um, we should move on. I'm also just curious, like, normally at Women Tell All, the vibe is very different. You know, there's an audience, there are people wearing T-shirts. Um, and this time, it was just you guys in a room. Like, do you think that, like, what was the vibe like for all of you in the room? And and do you think it would have been different um, if they if there had been a studio audience? I definitely think the vibe would have shifted if there was a live audience. But I don't really know what that's like because because of COVID, we didn't have live audience for anything or like have any people around on our dates. You know, we were in this bubble, so I don't really know how the entire experience would have been different with the live audience. Um, I'm sure there would have been some oohs and some ahs at, at some <laughs> comments, but that the vibe in the room was not tense or anything. Like we all came to sit there and speak about our truths and what we felt like we needed to get off of our chest. And it wasn't volatile by any means. It was just kind of like, you know, we're all women. We all have an opinion and that's fine. We're not here to bash each other. We're just here to speak our truth. Yeah, it did certainly to me feel like um, less screaming over each other than a normal women tell all, which uh, as people that take notes, we were very grateful for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, there really wasn't any any screaming or shouting. Yeah. It was not. It was it, rather it like, like that. all things considered rather placid. Uh, but one one uh, conflict that did feel kind of notable and that a lot of our listeners, I think, felt a little bit confused by um, was between Katie and some of the women. And and you were involved in, in that. You guys kind of got into a bit of a back and forth. Can you give us any more background on, on that conflict? Yeah. Um, there was a comment made that Katie said, everyone's getting the karma that they deserve. And that's what kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I feel like, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of these women, not specifically any girls that are mean, not specifically any girls that are nice. Like I was friends with every single girl in the house. You could ask everyone. And I don't appreciate being lumped in with a certain type of girl or saying that I'm defending or condoning bullying just because I don't think it's okay for you to say that everyone is getting the karma they deserve when people are getting death threats, people are getting racist comments. I don't deserve that karma. <laughs> so I I just, I really didn't appreciate that. And I don't think everyone's getting what they deserve. Um, mm. So yeah, I absolutely don't condone bullying. I don't condone many of the awful comments that people said. I don't think people realize that I'm not 
sitting around in all of these conflicts that they're privy to watching on the screen. Like for many of the things that happened, I was not in the room. There's almost 40 women there. So I didn't see these things. And I was I was busy minding my own business. <laughs> like I really truly was. And I don't think I should be called an awful person for minding my own business and trying to focus on my relationship with Matt. I I'm not in people's interviews. I'm not there when people are telling the camera, like name calling and all this stuff. Like I was not there for the Britney confrontation. Like I had nothing to apologize for because I was nice to everyone when they came in the house. Like I, I was consistent with my behavior the whole time. I was welcoming to the new girls. Like you could ask them that too. I was one of the most welcoming to them when they came. So it's just like, I feel like people are expecting me to apologize and, and be like, people are saying that being silent is just as bad as being a bully. And that's not really what the situation was. I just literally wasn't there and I was focusing on myself. And I don't think that makes me a bully. <laughs> yeah. I think I, you make a good point, and I thought Katie's comment was odd as well. Um, yeah. Perhaps because she has had a more favorable edit, and and we, you know, have commented positively. She's feeling a little pleased with how things have worked out. But like anyone who follows the show should know that the harassment is not like meted out in a merit based or appropriate way. Um, and it's certainly not acceptable that people are getting death threats or right. racist no, abuse. No matter no matter what has been done on the show, we obviously um, there are always going to be people who cross that that line. So, yeah, we we were I think we were we were a little confused by that comment of Katie's as well. Um, but from our perspective as viewers, it did feel like there was a, there was a real level of toxicity within the cast at times like that. We certainly saw that um, in the footage that we were privy to um, and that some of the women were suffering because of the bullying, especially women like Ryan and, and Brittany. Do you disagree with that assessment or what are your feelings? So in one of the episodes, I said I didn't feel like at the time the house was toxic and I asked the new women how they felt about it and they told me yeah, there have been some comments that have been made that made me uncomfortable. That's when I find found out like what had been said to Ryan. That's when I found out about what happened with Brittany and Anna. So at the time of me saying, I don't feel like the house is toxic, that was genuinely me being like, I don't feel that way because I'm sitting here on the couch like reading a book. I'm painting my nails with Abigail. Like I'm going on a walk with Kit. So it's just like, I really did not know that was happening. Um, so that's why I asked them. I'm like, I I wanted to know what they thought. They told me. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I really didn't know all that was going on. Thanks for telling me. Um, and I don't know. There's <laughs> there's some things that weren't shown that I can't speak on. So, so yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, it's, it's always the case. There's so much that can't be shown. I think that, like, that one, like, last thing maybe that um, – a lot of us have been trying to like kind of make sense of is I guess what the appropriate way would have been to handle, for example, Anna spreading this rumor and why there would be an issue with Matt being informed of it um, so that he could, I mean, he's the only person who can like eliminate someone from the situation. Um, and it does seem like there was this toxic situation before Katie said something. Um, so I guess we've been kind of wondering like from 
for from your guys' perspective, like what would have been like a better way forward than than taking it to Matt? I guess I don't really have a problem with the fact that Katie took it to Matt. My issue was more so that there was no responsibility taken on Katie's end because she did start a sort of domino effect with things that happened in the house and a lot of things being changed and shifted in a different way. So Katie had mentioned that she didn't say any names to Matt and she felt like that was the right thing to do. In my opinion, that made things a little bit more complicated because if you go to someone and say, hey, there's a lot of things going on in the house that are terrible and give no context or no names, it led to a lot of time being taken up for Matt trying to figure out what it is that was going on. Mm. And, you know, I almost think it might have been better for her to be like, hey, there's something going on that could ruin someone's life. It's Brittany and I want her to feel protected and safe. Please make sure you look into this. Like it just led to a lot, a lot of things. And I just, I wish I could say more things. (laughs) So do we, no, we totally understand. We understand. And that makes a lot of sense too, that like it, it was uh, a way of addressing it that was inefficient in its effects. And it's certainly, um, there was a lot of investigation that followed. Um, right. And that's what I meant by my comment last night about the domino effect, okay. because it was like, that was the kickoff to everything that happened that led to all of this investigation, canceled cocktail parties, like all of these things happening, meet continually losing time to speak to Matt over and over again. So I have no issues if somebody is genuinely being attacked, bullied, if there's a real problem bringing it to Matt so he can handle it. I have absolutely no problem with that. I did want to just briefly uh, talk about uh, Brittany's time in the hot seat and the sort of resolution of her um, bullying, uh, being bullied arc on the show. Um, And Anna apologizing to her for saying that she was uh, an escort. Um, What did what did you guys think of of this interaction? I was a little bit um, sad to hear that Anna had not reached out to Brittany um, off camera. But at the same time, I thought that they both expressed themselves really well in that moment. And that was nice to see. I thought Brittany did a really good job of kind of threading the needle of, you know, saying that this was a a rumor, that it was untrue, while also not, like, denigrating sex workers. And I think that that's a really – she was put in kind of a shitty – I mean, for so many reasons, a shitty, difficult position to kind of, um, yeah, to thread that really difficult needle. And I thought she did it really well. And I was at least glad to see that Anna didn't – didn't try to defend herself or deflect, which is something I do think we saw from Victoria. Um, <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Brittany did an incredible job in that hot seat. Um, she handled herself amazingly and she I, she didn't deserve what she got. Like she just was one of us coming into the house hoping for the best and could have never prepared for or expected that to happen. 
Um, and I was happy to see that Anna was genuinely apologizing. I mean, there was, you only saw a couple minutes of it, but it went on for a, a while. Like she okay. was very, very, very sorry. And she, I think when they left, I'm not sure, but when Anna left um, filming, I think they had already also kind of squashed it. Like she had apologized many times. She was very apologetic when Matt was sending her home and in her exit, like she knew she did something wrong. Um, So I have no problem with people who are willing to own up to what they said and did and apologize for it and we can move forward. How did you feel about uh, Victoria's sort of all over the place (laughs) responses to to people calling her out? I think it was incredible that Anna was trying to apologize unreservedly. And Victoria was like, so anyway, who did you hear those rumors from? So that Anna could then be like, well, I did hear it from some very (laughs) credible sources. I was like, Victoria, you're still causing problems. Yeah, we were saying last night, we were like, it didn't even feel like Victoria was being particularly calculated, just like extremely messy. I don't think Victoria is calculated. I really don't. Um, I do think she's sorry for some of the things that she said. Like, she did apologize specifically for the hoe comment, the slur comment, the loser's comment, like the name calling she's apologized for. And even when she was apologizing to Ryan, she said, you know... I think you're being sensitive or or whatever she said. And I was like, Victoria, it's not okay for you to call her sensitive while you're sitting here apologizing. Like, just, just own apologize. It. <laughs> just apologize. Just own it. And it's like, away. I'm sorry, but don't you think that you're like being a little bit ridiculous? Like, no, that's not an apology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I called her on it. I'm like, Victoria, not fair for you to call her sensitive. Like, just apologize. Yeah, that please. was appreciated. <laughs> And we saw some, like, deleted scenes from all of the day dates that were canceled this season. Um, yes. Like, Fear Factor style day dates. Like, what? Yes. I was on that date and I was like, did I sign up for The Bachelor? Did I sign up for Fear Factor? What is this? Yeah, I would have been right out <sighs> if you told me to uh, put my hand in a, in like a bucket of worms like it's have having bugs just crawling all over me like you look you spend time in a new york city apartment you see, you've seen roaches like you're not <laughs> trying to touch any like giant crawly bugs well i genuinely thought like they were messing with us like i told mj she was my partner and i was like mj like it's mind over matter there's not actually bugs in there like just get the ring stick your hand in there and so she stuck her hand in it and she was like there's things crawling on me and i was like like, and i i had like the crick fire crickets so i stuck my hand in there and i guess all the crickets were kind of like on the side of the box so they really weren't crawling on me so i was like there's nothing in here mj like there's nothing here and she had the worms and the roaches and and then we turned around to see what was in there and i was like oh my god oh my god (laughs) oh my god yeah um so a lot of women tell all ended up being these conversations debriefs with with some of the later women to to go home Serena P Piper Katie I was sort of surprised to see um perhaps because they were trying to give her a bachelor at edit we don't really understand what that conversation was for um but uh that's kind of yeah like they're they're most of most of it women tell it seems like was about these kind of resolution hot seat conversations with the women and with matt and it seems like 
everyone just loves Matt still when he came out. Everyone was just like, thank you for our beautiful time together. I mean, yeah, do you think that's like, a reflection wow. of I, the I've... house sentiment? Like, was there still a lot of goodwill towards him in the house by the time filming ended? Yeah, I don't think anybody has any ill will towards Matt. I can't speak for the people that were there longer than me and, you know, were more emotionally invested, but I definitely have no ill will towards him. I had a good experience. He, you know, was always very present when we were in our conversations, even though there was a lot going on and I appreciated that. Um, So yeah, I think, I think overall people are no one's upset. <laughs> and that's often not the case with the I was going to say, like, I've never nice seen such see. a, like, uniformly warm uh, reception for a lead. <laughs> that's actually true. <laughs> People are usually pretty salty. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice to see that uh, that kindness on display. Um, did you ever experience his, his open-eyed kissing technique? Were you alarmed by it? I did. <laughs> Okay, I didn't know until the previews and the promos started coming out. So at the time, I was not alarmed by it because my eyes were closed. (laughs) You're like, I did not sneak a peek, so uh, I wasn't aware. (laughs) I was absolutely unaware that they were open. (laughs) Oh, man. That must, does that just like recast the whole experience for you? (laughs) In a different light. No, I actually have dated somebody that, I have peaked and I saw their eyes were open and I was like, what are you oh doing? Oh my gosh. So this is, this is an epidemic among the men. Right. They're not all right. This is, this yeah. This is a, I, listen, a guy thing. I think it's because women are really nice to look at up close, you know, and they're like, this is my chance to see her like smooth skin and her perfectly groomed eyebrows from like really close. You know, when you're like going in for a kiss with a your average straight cis man, you're just like, all right, let's close the eyes. Imagine something nice. Eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but like that close up, what are you looking at? My smooth nose? Like <laughs> you're what? Just, you're, no, you're what yeah, is just it? every individual pore, you know. <laughs> Beautiful <laughs> pores. <laughs> He wanted to see your beautiful pores, so it's really a compliment. <laughs> glad, yeah, glad okay, we've I'll sorted this out. I think we, I think we all understand what was going on now. So I think, obviously, this women tell all was filmed um, before a lot of stuff went down in Bachelor Nation. Um, so I think we do have to talk about Chris Harrison. Um, what were your first thoughts when you saw his interview with Rachel Lindsay, if if you did watch the whole thing? I didn't watch the whole thing. Um, it was sent to me by a few different people, and it was, like, first thing in the morning. So I woke up, and I watched the first five minutes before I had to turn it off because it was making my blood boil. Um, and I still haven't watched the rest. I've obviously seen people discuss the clips and whatnot. Um But it was just really upsetting to me because as a Black woman, I obviously can see myself in Rachel Lindsay's shoes easily. And I know what it feels like to be sitting in a situation like that and being so uncomfortable and being at work and not being able to say what you feel and being angered by something and not being able to even have an emotion about it because people are going to just label you an angry Black woman and then nothing else is going to come across. So I felt for her and I was just, I don't even want to say if I was shocked by the comments because 
I, I, I don't know. Um, it was just shocking that the comments were aired in a public platform. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you and your fellow season 25 women ultimately did release a, a statement in, in solidarity with Rachel. And that felt really mm-hmm. notable to us because we have never seen something like that happen like so as a collective with a cast, especially under contract still. Can you talk us through a little bit yeah. the process of, of that statement coming together? Yeah. So six women of color from our cast of 37 um, wrote the statement together and decided that it would be more powerful if they shared it with everyone in the cast. And I think that definitely was the case. Um, So they wrote it and came up with it and then shared it with everyone else. And then we were, you know, everyone was happy to post and stand together. And I think because it was all of us and not just a few, it really was so impactful. And then, you know, we saw the guys from last season join in and support us so that that was amazing to see as well. Yeah, we were like, damn, they're all unionizing. We'd love to see it. <laughs> yes. How how have you guys felt about the response to that statement? It's been an amazing response, to be completely honest. I thought it wasn't going to be as well received as it was. I was sure I was going to start getting hate messages and lose followers and whatever else happens whenever you speak about race. Um but apparently my followers are pretty cool. So <laughs> there was a lot of love and support. And um, at first, I feel like everyone was really kind of on the same side and agreed that it was powerful. And it was nice to see us all standing together after so much drama has been portrayed on this season and how the women have been portrayed. It's just nice to see that, you know, we're all standing together on the things that matter. Yeah, I mean, you say you say at first, like, how do you think that that has changed as the conversation has gone on? I mean, we've seen that Rachel Lindsay's gotten so much hate that she's literally been bullied off of Instagram. So I think it just I don't know what happened in between. I don't know when people started blaming Rachel Lindsay and Rachel Lindsay alone for Chris Harrison stepping down. Um, But I think it just kind of snowballed after the statement a little bit more um, and people are just being so hateful that it's kind of taking away from the whole powerful movement that it had in the beginning. Ultimately, like what, what do you think it will take for this franchise to become more equitable? Like at your core, do you, do you have hope? I mean, I think it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time. We know that systemic change is not something that can happen overnight but this isn't like a band-aid fix and this isn't something that just started in 2020 like there have been race problems throughout the franchise for the whole time (laughs) um so it's gonna take a lot of work on the inside I mean they need to do different hiring they need to um continue with casting people of color and leads of color and um yeah it's just it's not something that is going to be quick fix i mean we've talked a lot about about that um kind of stuff going on this season it feels like in some ways the season was like completely subsumed by these these racist controversies 
Um, so we would like to hear about some of the lighter side of the experience for you. We want the Um, joy. We want to hear about the joy. The joy that we were denied in many ways. Like we, we were saying to each other, you know, like we don't have a strong sense even of the friendships in the house. Like all we saw was just like drama and rose ceremonies, like very little romance, (laughs) very little like people hanging out with each other, becoming friends. Um, so we're curious, like, what are some fun memories that you have um, from being with the women in the house that didn't make it onto the show? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you guys there. There's amazing women in the house. And I've met a lot of people that I genuinely think I will be friends with for the rest of my life. And we're so bonded by this experience. And so I'm sad that you guys didn't get to see that, too, because I'm sure everyone would have liked to. Um, But... My favorite memories. I mean, <laughs> we would like get in the hot tub together. We get in the pool together. We had this little reading nook by the fireplace where we would set up all the giant pillows and we would all just lay there and fall asleep on each other's shoulders. Like we painted each other's nails before the rose ceremonies. We took tequila shots. Like we <laughs> we did everything together. Um, and we had like a little outdoor space where we could go on walks and we worked out together. So it was just, it was a great bonding experience. I'm such a girl's girl personally. So like, that's why I said I'm friends with literally everyone in the house because I was, um, and it was great. I mean, I wasn't like in a sorority or anything like that. And people would like make jokes like, oh, sorority, sorority, this feels like that. But I'm like, sororities aren't really my thing, but I do love being around you guys. And I love being around like other strong, amazing women. Cause it's just like, you get the power and the energy from that. Who were some of your best friends from the show? Like, uh, who are you still in in good contact with right now? So I was rooming with Ileana. She left kind of early, but we got really close when we were in the same room. And then um, I was really close with Piper and Brie and Abigail. Um a lot of the girls that just kind of weren't involved in the drama, uh, we kind of just hung out and not got involved, didn't get involved in the drama together. Um, Maggie and Serena and um, who am I forgetting? I mean, Kayla and Lauren. I, lo- I love so many of them. That's so sweet. <laughs> we really wanted more from Maggie. I really, I like wanted to know much more about Maggie. She is... <laughs> she's like hilarious and also the sweetest nicest person you'll ever meet in your life and somehow she's a pharmacist and also a model in vogue so she's just (laughs) as you do very normal yeah Uh, yeah yes your average average girl (laughs) most of us can barely do one job um it's really putting us to shame (laughs) it must have been even like coming out of quarantine like so much more even than usual powerful to be able to mm-hmm. spend all this like up close and personal time with with cool women and, and start friendships when a lot of us like you spend so much time not really even being able to see your friends during 2020 yeah and I um I don't know about you guys but it's pretty hard to make friends in New York and especially as an adult and I'm not in like a typical office job like I'm modeling it's I'm not making great of friends with like these 18 year old girls that I'm (laughs) that I am um walking in shows with so it's hard to make friends um 
but there are a couple of girls from my cast that are in New York. So that's, that's great. I'm glad that I have them and like, we can continue that and continue hanging out. Yeah. It's very hard to make friends in New York. When I, when I inventory, (laughs) I've lived here for a decade. I think all of my friends I made at the office, which like, yeah, yeah. It's like a communal place that we, well, formerly spent a lot of our time. And yeah, if you don't have that, it's, it's tough. How, how has modeling been going during COVID? Like, what has that been like? It's pretty slow. Um, (laughs) which is unfortunate because I feel like I was hitting like a peak right when COVID started. Like I went to Paris for the first time for fashion week and I was on a billboard and then I was in British Vogue from a show I did in Paris. And this was literally like right before they closed the borders. Like I almost got stuck in Paris. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, So, which would not have been terrible, but (laughs) the worst place. (laughs) Yeah. I would have found a way to make it work, but um. But yeah, it was right before everything shut down. So I got back here to New York and then my agency's closed for a while Um, and they are back open now, but it's still not anywhere near the level that it was before, Um, especially because I do a lot of runway and bridal. So right now would be the busiest time for me. It's February and um, and and April's bridal, but February is like fashion week. So like a year ago, I was at eight castings a day, like trying to do fashion week stuff. And then this season, I literally had like two. Oh, man. <laughs> um, and then most of the shows are virtual. So it's just not the same. I can't believe it's been a year. Like yesterday, it's been a year since the first COVID confirmed pa- case in New York. So I'm like, wow. But I have been getting, you know, some more work and some more recognition after the show. So that's nice. Um, Good. We're but so hopefully glad to hear things that. will... Yeah, hopefully things will pick up once it starts to get warmer and vaccine comes out more. It ended up actually being like definitely very well timed for you to go on The Bachelor because you wouldn't have been able to do as much work and it ended up being productive. Yeah, because when filming was about to start or around then would have been a really busy time for me um, with modeling. So if it had been any other year except for 2020, I would not have been able to do the show. So everything worked out the way it was supposed to. Yeah. The rest of us um, are, are, you know, got to be blessed by your presence and all of your many <laughs> excellent jackets. Which the jackets. Is just, yeah. <laughs> my personal so area of interest. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm really glad that it was in a cooler weather setting so that we could see the jackets. Um, we got the jackets. So got the jackets. We got the fall yes. foliage. I mean, just, yeah, an embarrassment of riches, really. <laughs> Maybe that's why everyone was so excited about the coat game, because normally you don't get to see that on The Bachelor. It's always warm. Yeah, they're like in L.A. and then traveling in like mm-hmm. Aruba or whatever. It's like right. not good opportunities <laughs> for like a big faux fur, which is what I care about. <laughs> so we have to ask before we wrap up. Um we obviously don't know who the next Bachelorette is yet. Um, and we're all assuming it will mm-hmm. be cast from this season. So we're curious who you would like to see as Bachelorette. I would love to see Brie, Michelle, or Abigail. Same. I think they're they're on they're on our list as well. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> I think they're on yeah. everyone's list. How could they not be? <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> is there any particular reason that you think that they would be excellent choices? Um, I know that like a lot of the women this season who made it pretty far were um, were on the young side, but um, that certainly hasn't been a barrier in the past. I think Hannah was like 24. That's true. Yeah, Michelle is 27. I think that's a perfectly nice age to be a bachelorette. Um, Abigail's turning 26 tomorrow. Shout out to Abigail. Happy birthday. And uh, Bree's 24 or 25. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm 28. So I appreciate the fact that I've gone through some like serious relationships and serious heartache and I think that makes me better and makes me understand more what I'm looking for in a partner now so I think not saying people that are younger cannot you know truly deeply find love and be the bachelorette at all Um, but I do think being a little bit older does help but to answer your question I mean there's no question that all three of them are amazing Um, and you guys didn't really get to see all of their personalities. No, <laughs> like <we> at didn't. all. <laughs> yeah, so they are three of my favorite people, and they just—I mean, anyone would be lucky to go on a season oh, with that's them. So sweet. I mean, and and we we are excited at the thought that we yeah might get to know one of these women better, and hopefully the season would leave room for lots of excellent cameos for their good friends. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and would yeah. you would you ever be interested in being on another Bachelor franchise show, or have or have you decided to to move on to another chapter in your life? I haven't made any final decisions just yet, but um, I I definitely feel like I would genuinely like to see some sort of a change, some sort of commitment to protecting and upholding the standards that were promised as far as race goes before I could commit to being on any other sort of show. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, last, just we have one final deeply important question for you. Can we go to brunch with you and Abigail after we're all vaccinated? <laughs> Absolutely. We are here. When it warms up, we can go. Oh, man. I haven't been to brunch in like two years. I'm ready. Let's do it. Well, Chelsea, thank you so, so much for coming on to chat with us about Women Tell All and your whole journey. It's been so fun to get to know you more. And uh, please come back in the future. Your open invite. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And that's it for this episode of Here to Make Friends. Thanks so much to our guest, Chelsea Vaughn, and of course, our tireless producers, Nick Offenberg and Sarah Patterson. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Here to Make Friends Pod, and you can follow us individually on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Claire E. Fallon. And I'm at Emma Lady Rose. We'll be back next week to recap Fantasy Suites. 